Welcome to the Expanded By Podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea. I'm a business mentor, brain rewiring certified coach, and soon to be 7D, a high energy healer. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things business growth, spirituality, brain rewiring, mindset, energetics, and so much more. You can connect further with me on Instagram at expandwithchelsea and on YouTube at expandwithchelsea. I am so excited that you're here. I hope you leave today feeling expanded by what we talk about. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here. I have a special guest and friend here with us today. This is actually the first return podcast guest that I've ever had. I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation with Carly. We're going to be talking all things recovering after major injury, how to answer the question, how hard have you climbed? She'll be sharing about expanding her business, hiring on coaches, and her ideology behind that. We're talking about tangible tools to help you improve your mental landscape for climbing and Carly's favorite tools to improve focus. We're talking all things longevity and climbing and Carly getting her SPI, some of the inspiration behind that and what she's excited to do in the future. I know you're absolutely going to love this conversation. If you haven't listened to Carly's first episode yet, I would highly recommend it. It came out about a year ago. I will link it in the show notes. You're absolutely going to love getting to know Carly. She has seriously such a grounding, calming energy, and you're going to learn a ton from her. So before we hop into today's podcast episode, I want to give some updates. So if you haven't yet signed up for Spark, this is my Business Igniter Masterclass. So if you are a business owner looking to hit consistent 5k months inside your business, I'm going to be breaking down all of the strategy for you inside this free event. It's happening on Sunday, June 26th and Monday, June 27th. All you have to do is attend one of those dates. You definitely don't need to be at both, but you can if you would like to. And I'm breaking down how to create a signature offer, how to come up with your own customized launch strategy, how to shift into your CEO, business owner energy and mindset, We're talking about the biggest mindset blocks that big business owners face and how to move past those blocks. And we're talking about creating content that actually converts your audience into paying customers. It's going to be such a good time. And if you show up live, you'll be entered to win one of five different prizes. So you can win free enrollment to Ignite, which is such a big deal. If you are a business owner and you have not yet checked out Ignite, I will link the information page in the show notes. This is my business program that will take you from that place of, I don't know what I'm doing to, oh yeah, I run a business and I'm actually really good at it. This is a 12-week self-paced program that will teach you absolutely everything you need to know about running and growing a business from scratch. So that'll be one of the prizes is winning full enrollment to that. That's almost a $3,000 value. You'll also be entered to win a 90-minute one-on-one intensive with me and one of three different Instagram bio audits. So I will go in, I'll take a look at your social media, let you know what I think needs to be tweaked and changed, if there's anything that you can do to actually convert your audience into sales, anything that I notice. So I really am excited about this. The live energy and being able to host events live is one of my absolute very favorite things. I actually made the decision not to offer a replay for this, so you'll definitely want to make sure that you're there live. It's going to be such a good time. If you don't yet have something like a signature offer or you don't know what a launch strategy is, I'm going to be teaching you all the nitty gritty. So come prepared to take notes. This two-hour event is going to change your entire life. It's going to change the way that you do business, 
and I can't wait to see you there. All you have to do to sign up is head to the link in the show notes. Super easy. Again, you don't need to be at both of the days. Just pick one, and I can't wait to see you there. So let's go ahead and get into this interview with Carly. Okay, welcome back to the show, Carly. I am so excited to have you here again. If you have not yet listened to Carly's first episode, be sure to tune in. We go into a little bit more of her background, her story as a coach, and today we're going to be talking all things transition, the hardest thing Carly's ever climbed. I am so excited to get into this conversation. So Carly, I'm so pumped. Okay, share what is new with you for us. I know you've been through a lot in the last couple of months. Let's start with your time in Las Vegas. What were you doing there? What was the whole goal of being in Vegas? What did you accomplish? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited to be back on the show. Thanks for having me again. Um, Yeah, so I was recently in Vegas for, man, it went by quick, three weeks to a month, somewhere in there. Um, and the sort of impetus for going down there was to get my SBI, to take my SPI exam. Um, which really came from a motivation of wanting to work with climbers a little bit more in person and do more clinics this year. Um, You know, being a remote coach is awesome because I can be a lot of places. Um, But sometimes I realize that I get the most joy and I make the biggest impact for athletes when I can actually be there with them at the crag. So um, I'm really excited to have the SPI. So I passed, woo, uh, have the SPI. So that way at climbing festivals, you know, it's easier for me to be the the clinic lead and give clinics because they don't need to also have a guide there with me. So yeah, that was my initial reason for going down to Vegas was to take that exam. Um, but I'd been down there and see, I was down there in the fall and in the spring, I've kind of gotten a little bit of the red rock fever, I guess. And, um, the other reason I wanted to go out down there was to build a lot of volume on climbing trad more quickly, multi-pitch systems, um, just building volume in that realm. And so there wasn't like real, real specific send goals for me when I, when I was down there. Um, but sort of just like, yeah, just skill-based goals and kind of like leading up to and culminating in climbing the original route on the rainbow wall. Ooh, okay. I definitely want to dive into this, but I first want to point out, I mean, I absolutely love the way that you approach goals, Carly, because it's not just necessarily like, okay, let's tick the next grade. I think you're somebody that's so good at pulling out different types of goals. Like your goal for this trip was volume and probably getting back into the mental space to lead trad after your injury, after your accident, just about a year ago. I mean, you just crossed your one year anniversary with that, right? Yeah, it's been a while. I definitely, actually, it was really amazing. I was out um, for a hike and I haven't really been able to run. So I guess a little background, I destroyed my tib-fib on April 22nd, um, 2021. Um, and it was a long road of recovery and finally got all the hardware out in December. And I went for a jog the other day and it didn't hurt, which has not been the case for a year. <laughs> so that was pretty kind of like, wow, I really actually feel, you know, I got scars all over the place, but I can still funk, you know, I can jog again. So that's kind of cool. But, um, big stuff. Yeah. That's huge. yeah. Yeah. So I'm psyched on that, but yeah, a lot's happened in a year for sure. Um, I know we're, we're just talking about how you're like a different person now. So tell me a little bit more about the rainbow wall, how that experience was for you. I mean, I think that this is, this is something that maybe a lot of people hear about, but then they kind of get intimidated with the process. Like, tell us, 
tell us why you were first drawn to this and what it entailed. Mm-hmm. So the very first time I saw Rainbow Wall, I did this other route in Juniper Canyon down there called Nightcrawler, which um, was like four or five pitches. I can't remember, but it's like directly across the canyon. And so the whole time you're climb, crawl, climbing on Nightcrawler, you are looking at Rainbow Wall. And if it's like not the most, you know, inspiring wall out at Red Rocks, I don't know. I don't know what is because I was just like, whatever that is, I want to climb on it. You know, just like totally being drawn to the aesthetic and the size and it's sort of like looms in the background of Juniper Canyon and the shade. It just kind of has like, you know, like you don't even need to have folklore about it. Just kind of like looks like something that that would be an experience that you want to have. So that was when I was initially drawn to it and kind of more broadly drawn to bigger routes, bigger climbs, more track climbing um, and expanding my climbing in that way. And knowing I had a lot of work to do in terms of like crack technique and, um, and just leading on gear with confidence. And so, you know, it's funny because that was in March, 2021 that I saw it for the first time. And then I think, you know, maybe subconsciously and kind of consciously it informed some of the choices that I made for the following year and the way that I spent my time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I, I, I remember being in Vegas, um, about a year and a half ago and looking at that wall and being like, yeah, that looks cool. And then learning the routes on there. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, that's maybe a little out of my league, but for you, you know, how has it been being very multidisciplinary with climbing, you know, trying to balance all of these different things, training for power, you know, for different sport climbing projects that you might have, how do you balance all of those things? Yeah, that's a good question. So I balance, yeah, like what I've found to be really, really helpful in my climbing is to let like big waves ebb and flow. And so like when I have, like I was in Mexico for five weeks over the winter and I definitely had some fire of like, yeah, I want to like try freaking hard, you know, and like put down some things and um, did that. And then I kind of felt that kind of that like sort of flavor of fire, I guess, if you will, kind of turn into a little bit more of an ember. And I, you know, I think a lot of climbers experience that. Um, they send a big thing or they go at it for like, you know, a month or two at a time and they are kind of like feeling a little burned out. And so reframing that as just being like, all oh, right, the fire can just burn for something else right now. And um, so after Mexico kind of being like, all right, I'm gonna let that fire burn on these big, long trad routes and long days with friends and big approaches and just, um, burning it for, you know, for multi-pitch skills and that kind of thing. And, uh, that has allowed me to let that part flow, learn a lot. And then when I feel the sort of like send fire come back, it comes back with a lot of vengeance and I can like go into it. But during that time where instead of feeling burned out and like, I just don't really want to like climb or try hard. It's an opportunity for us to explore different realms and that can just open up so many avenues um, for us to explore and climbing in within ourselves. Yeah. And I think that that really feeds into longevity with the sport too. Like you don't necessarily just have to go hard at the physical aspect the entire time. So you do a lot with mindset work. So how does mindset work kind of play into the longevity and exploring all of these different paths within climbing? Yeah. I mean, geez, mental training and mindset work is a huge, huge part of Project Direct. Um, and I think that's because I, I care so much about it and I love working on it with people. And um, it's interesting though, you know, in the realm of the realm of coaching, um, 
there is like the amazing training plans and like getting physically stronger and better um, is certainly a big part of developing as a climber. Um, but having a relationship with climbing that is sustainable is often not talked about as much by climbing coaches, but it's certainly something that I talk to athletes a lot. And I know that a lot of athletes struggle with. And so one of the big things that, you know, we're climbing for the last decade (laughs) and sustaining good sense, big injuries, you know, a lot of transformation and growth is just that like, um, we are going to have the most success in the sport. Like even, even if we take the totally black and white, like let's say we're just looking at our climbing career through the lens of what we've sent. Even if we do that, we are going to have the most success in this sport if we do it for a very long time. There's just no way to get around that. You know, like a climber that climbs for 20 years is going to have more sense and success than a climber that climbs for three and gets totally burned out. And so I see my role as a coach um, is certainly partially, you know, being a trainer, like really being versed in understanding how our body works and trains. And certainly as a skill movement analysis um, coach too, but I really see a big part of my role as a coach and in this industry is helping people find that longevity and find that sustainable relationship through in climbing. And a, one of the best tools that we have to do that is to allow those other you know, other flavors of fire to burn and to explore these different avenues. Um, whether that be, you know, maybe you're a boulder and you can like tap into some sport climbing for a while, or maybe you're, maybe you're the, you know, a rad, rad Yosemite veteran, you know, but maybe you want to spend a little bit time coaching or bouldering or doing something else. And so, um, seeing, Longevity as a major role that I need to be playing as a coach for my athletes is really important. And so I try to certainly, you know, walk the walk with that as well. Mm -hmm. I love this. And, you know, I feel like one of the big barriers for people, like maybe they are kind of interested in going down a different direction or a different path, but they're like, oh, I don't want to feel like a beginner again. I don't want to feel like I'm completely starting over. Maybe their ego is starting to pop in a little bit. Let's talk about the transition phase between these different disciplines. So you and I, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned being in the trenches of transition, and I absolutely loved that. So can you explain and tell us a little bit more about the trenches? Totally, 100%. So I've been in them many times, and I anticipate <laughs> I will spend many more years in them um, and, uh, and, and learning to celebrate it. So what I kind of mean by that is, um, you know, it, we are shaped by the climbing that we have around us. And, um, in some ways that's kind of beautiful because we're shaped by the landscapes and the, you know, the natural environment that we find ourselves near. Um, but what that often means is, you know, climbers, if they have a ton of limestone around them, they get quite good at that, you know, or if they have a ton, if they live in Moab or Southwest Colorado, you know, Indian Creek is their jam and they, crack climb like nobody's business but um typically we all have little holes little weak spots you know and when we go through getting quite a bit better at climbing in a certain style and then we go to a different place or if we just go to a different place on a trip you know um there's just like this big old learning curve that happens this happened to me down in El Salto two years ago when I was my first time climbing tufas happens when I'm climbing cracks, which is getting better. You know what I mean? But the, 
when you're transitioning like that and you're, you're learning so much, I like to call it the trenches of transition because it never, it almost never on the days that you learn the most, it rarely feels good. And, um, <laughs> it really like, you know, like, yeah, it's, but like, it takes a while, you know, give yourself like 20 to 30 climbing days on this style before you make any judgment about like your ability to do it. And so during that 20 and 30 days, when you're learning so much and just messing up all the time and learning all the things that don't work and how your body moves in this new way, um, it's really easy for athletes to start to feel down. You know, they used to be, maybe they used to be like sending 12 plus in their home turf, you know, and now they're, now they're struggling on, on some wide crack shenanigans or whatever it is. And, um, yeah. So during that time is often when I see athletes kind of like starting to pull back or retreat. And so being able to celebrate that time and recognize it as hard is a big thing that I'm just a big proponent of it because I think it teaches athletes a lot about themselves. And then when they do come out, maybe on 20 or 30 days of this new style, not only are they good at that style, they are going to use those skills back in their home turf in ways that they never even thought about before. You know what I mean? Like I've been recently trying to like fill the whole crack climbing in my skill set, and I'm using it all the time on limestone. And so, um, when we're in the trenches of transition, if it's like to a different rock type, or if like in my case, like I'm really inspired by bigger walls and more gear climbing right now. Um, yeah, a lot of times I just feel like I'm, um, very much in the trenches and it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel smooth. And I have like the, the, um, I guess confidence that I've done it before I've been in this kind of scenario before. And I know that with enough time and effort, I will develop these skills. And, um, so on the days that it feels hard, I always kind of remind myself that I'm in the trenches and I do the same for athletes. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be there. I feel like, you know, mm -hmm. it's embracing not only like the beginner mindset, but just giving kind of a name to it. And, you know, maybe you laugh about it, or maybe it just helps you accept where you are a little bit more where you're like, yep, I'm just in the trenches. And I'm just, it's just gonna feel like shit for 30 days. And then after that, then we can reevaluate. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, giving it that time and resisting really resisting the urge to make a judgment about your potential, your ability, or like, that's something that's really hard for us as humans is like, we're constantly organizing things around us and putting them into categories, labels, and boxes. And um, one of the things I uh, talk about a lot is if we can create a judgment gap. So this can happen on a mac micro scale, on a macro scale, um, but can you resist the urge? Can you sit with ambiguity for a little bit longer than you normally would? And that looks totally different for everybody. Um, and in this trenches of transition conversation, that might be like a 30, a 30 climbing day judgment gap, which can be a lot, you know what I mean? That can be a lot for people that like not making any judgments about your progress or your potential specifically. Um, and so on like a Mac, that's maybe like a macro scale, but it sounded like I, yeah, I just think this judgment gap is so powerful down to a micro scale. Like when you warm up and your warm up feels really bad for the day, and then you're going to step up and try to red point something and not allowing your warm up and how that felt inform about how you think you're going to feel on your red point go. You know, holding that judgment gap, holding a little ambiguity and letting that sit um, is a really powerful tool for us. 
I love the idea of a judgment gap. It's like when you first start a training plan and you're like, I feel literally weaker because you're moving your body in ways that you never have. You're Mm -hmm. pushing yourself. And it's like, you're expecting these returns on your, you know, training investment right away. And that's just not how it works. So just giving yourself a little bit more time and compassion. So Carly, for you, was there a specific event that happened or trip that you went on where you realized if I don't switch my mindset on this, like, I'm not going to enjoy climbing. Like, was there something that happened to where you realized, all right, I've got to do things differently? Oh, let me think. Man, I think, you know, I think that my first time in El Salto was formative in that way um, because I had never climbed on a two-foot before outdoors ever. And I was down there. <laughs> well, I was planning to be down there for two weeks. And then I was down there for like five. I just wouldn't leave. <laughs> um, but... I totally had those days where, you know, like grades that, especially like I had limestone experience, just not two foot experience, you know? So like certainly wasn't expecting maybe quite as much of a transition in that. And so I think there were a couple of days where I like walked away from crags just being like, man, I gave that climb six goes and I still didn't, still didn't figure out how to get to set that knee bar, you know, still everybody else seems so comfy there and I am not. And, uh, you know, just being a little bit down, um, down on myself about that. Um, so I think there was, yeah, I think there was like a week period in there where it was, you know, I was just kind of like, I don't know where exactly the, I'm trying to think of where like the judgment gap idea came from, but where I was just trying to like, you know, let myself be immersed in other things that I could be doing to enjoy climbing. So like supporting partners and meeting other climbers and learning the history of the place. But that that one does kind of stick out in my mind. And you know what? it was so good for me to stay down there longer or to continue to expose myself to it because right. Like in terms of like how we are forming habits and how we think about things is like, I had that experience and it was really hard for a week. And then I started to see myself come through on the other side of it and like totally figured out how to do the things. And then that experience informs you know, subsequent ones, you know, like I had to stay in that trench of transition for long enough to pull myself out of it to see the other side. And so same thing, you know, and I'm like, you know, struggling to get the foot technique right on a crack. I just think about like, okay, well, you know, you're just in the trenches and you've, you've done this before and you can do it again. Um, but that first time is always the hardest. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we all expect our growth to just be linear all the time. And then you realize there's actually a lot of dips inside that. So I know that you work on pattern and behavior change with a lot of your clients. So what are some of the big things that you see come up that you work on your clients with? Mm. Oh, that's good. Okay. Let's see. I'm full of the good questions today. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, so just generally, this is like totally maybe engineering brain of me. Um, Yeah, I don't know if anybody, like my background is engineering, so I totally do this all the time. But in engineering, we often, we like start with the general, uh, general like theoretical, like what's going on here? Like what are the three steps that need to happen? And then once we establish generally what we're doing, then we can like move it to a specific application. And so that's a lot of times how we think about um, behavior change or habit formation or changing our mindset around things is like, what, what do we need to have happen to change this for us? Obviously it needs to happen quite a few times. Um, and so the first thing that we really need is we need to introduce the stimuli that we 
aren't feeling so sure about, you know, that maybe we have or that we want to change our, our mentality about. We need to introduce it. And then we need to have some guidance. This is kind of where I come in is getting that right, like dose of discomfort, some guidance to have an experience with that stimuli that is neutral, but preferably positive, right? Like that is a big thing. Um, and then after, after we have some amount of experience with that, that is, you know, that kind of lights the spark of like, okay, I can do that again. And that will change then how we think about that stimulus. And we introduce it the next time we're a little bit more open. And so broadly, that's what's, (laughs) that's what's going on. Um, in terms of like specifics and how I work on it with athletes, I think a really good example is like practicing red pointing on non-limit climbs, um, and gaining, you know, I've worked with athletes that, and myself, honestly, like did a lot of limit climbing and, um, had a lot of one hanging and just kind of got into that loop of like, I, like, is this possible for me? Like, it seems so close, but I'm not hitting it. And so for an athlete that's like really focused on sport climbing is like finding some sends, you know, introducing the stimuli of, all right, we're going to try to red point this climb again, but maybe it's a little bit below your, your limit grade. And we're going to like build this kind of ritual for you and the way that you can drop into and shift down and access flow or whatever it is on this non-limit climb. So that way you have a better experience with red pointing generally, build some confidence um, and have a positive interaction with that stimuli. So that way later, later on, when you are doing something that is like truly at your limit, um, you're not, you know, you've worked through all of the ways that you don't need to beat yourself up and you work through your strategies. Now we're just kind of bumping it up a little bit. It's a lot easier of a, of a thing to work on if you have that, that background. Mm -hmm. I love your engineering brain. I mean, I feel like this makes it so actionable for people as well. When you start to break it down in this way, instead Mm -hmm. of just leaving it as like this kind of like complicated mindset topic. So I'm curious, you know, what would you say to somebody who maybe they're really trying to push their limits? I know you work on a lot of clients with overcoming fear of falling. This is something (laughs) that for me, when I was a climbing coach, I talked about a lot. A lot of people really need support around this. Let's say somebody is really trying to push their limits, let's say with sport climbing, what would be some of your first steps that you would recommend to them? Maybe they've, you know, just heard the basic, like, just go out and take a bunch of falls, just go take whips. Mm -hmm. And they're like, eh, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, gosh, because a lot of times if people have fear of falling, it's from maybe something traumatic had happened already in their climbing. And so what I talk like to athletes often come to me, they're like, I don't know if what I'm doing right now is just like re-traumatizing me. And so in any, or if it's fear of falling, fear of failure, fear of heights or exposure, like whatever the, the, the stimulus is, right. It's a stimulus that they've had a negative reaction to. Um, it's far outside of their comfort zone and maybe even be traumatic and for them. And so getting really clear on a few things. One is like, what part of that fall are you really really the most uncomfortable with. Um, and so some people, it's the loss of control, the airtime, hitting the wall, um, trusting the bolts or the gear, trusting their blare. Um, the zone of the unknown is one thing, you know, just not knowing what that fall is going to be like, um, different things like that. So getting really clear about what it is that actually 
which part of that fall is like the most uncomfortable for you. And that is a really important thing for me to, as a coach to ascertain, because that's how I'm going to build it into your comfort zone is I'm going to address it, um, in a really like step-by-step way. And it's funny because some people are like, I really want to, you know, get over my fear of, uh, lead falling and I don't have them lead fall for like a month. I have them doing, you know what I mean? I have them doing other things to like expand, um, expand their comfort zone and whatever it is they're afraid of. So like one thing that's really helpful for me is, so I have a gymnastics background. I was a um, competitive gymnast from age three to 13 or 14. Um, and I bring a lot of gymnastics ideas into what I'm working on with people. So if it's airtime, you know, like that's something I was fortunate enough to be exposed to very young in my life, but a lot of people aren't. And so how do we build airtime into your daily life that isn't a part of your climbing climbing session? Um, and so one thing that I just found so much success with is, yes, I'm going to give you something, some dose of discomfort when you're out climbing that is going to be a little bit of a stressful response, but isn't going to overwhelm you. But I'm going to be having you doing things off rock, off rock tasks every day. Cause not everybody can go, you know, nobody can go climbing every day. So, um, introducing whatever it is into, into your day in that way is a big part of what I do and what I work on. So bringing in things from gymnastics background or, you know, like mountain biking and all these different elements in order to build a comfort zone around something that we've specifically named as being uncomfortable for you. Mm-hmm. I am obsessed with the zone of the unknown. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I have so many like nerdy alliteration things and like stuff like that, just because I think I just, I'm kind of a nerd. So, but I came up with that. I was working with an ice climbing athlete, Katie McKinstry in, in Bozeman. And that was a big thing for her is just like, you know, you're going up on ice routes and she's like, you know, so skilled and has so much experience, but you know, sometimes there's just going to be points where you can't see the top out. And that was a really big really big thing for her. And hopefully she's okay with me sharing this. Katie, if you're listening, I hope you're okay with this, but, uh, I bet she would be, but we talked about it and we were always talking about the things that you can't see and how much trust it takes for you to give to yourself to go up and trust yourself to have the mental skills to stay calm enough to deal with whatever is up there and make those Mm -hmm. decisions, um, for yourself and where you're at in your climbing. So, that zone of the unknown is a big thing. And that's a big thing for a lot of people. They just don't know. They just, I just don't know what that fall is going to feel like. I don't know what that pitch is going to look like. Cause I can't see the top from this belay station and, um, building, building trust in yourself around that takes some work mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And trusting that you're making the quote right decision in the moment. Yeah. And I know that that's a lot of the work that you do with your clients is helping them kind of discern, is this something that you're comfortable pushing the limits on? Or is this something where we're going to call it and we're just going to say, nope, not for me, not today. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing, I think that's like one thing I really try to um, work with clients a lot on too, is like continuum thinking. So like in so many things that you read about sports psych or whatever, making the right decision or the wrong decision. And the reality is with climbing and there's like a lot more gray area than that. And so being making high quality decisions is a better way to phrase it. Our rhetoric really matters around that. Um, but yeah, making the right decision for you or the high quality decision for you in that day. And so one thing that I, you know, when we're working on fear of falling or fight or flight response or anything like that, 
is instead of a situation being bad or scary or good and okay, I ask people to kind of rate their discomfort on a scale of zero to 10, right? And maybe, you know, maybe we're just going to call it when it becomes a seven. And that's when we know that like, we're going to, we're going to kind of back off for the day. Um, and trying to stay out of that like trauma zone where like our nervous system doesn't go back to normal at all. Um, and so when we do that, when we're actually rating our discomfort on a scale of zero to 10, um, not only does it provide an athlete some volition to get out of that black and white thinking, but it also provides us the ability to see our slow progress over time. So maybe we aren't going from a fight or flight, like a 10 response to a zero, but we're going from an eight. And over the course of three weeks, that same stimulus is now only making us a two out of 10 discomfort, you know, or two out of 10 uncomfortable. Um, and doing stuff like that and letting athletes self-assess that is so, so huge because it, it helps them feel like they have a sense of control over where they're going. And it also is almost kind of like a training metric, you know, like, athletes get psyched when their max hang goes up, you know, and we do well with these measurable things. And so if an athlete can see like, okay, I was at an eight, but now I did that exact same type of thing. And it was felt way better. They're like, all right, progress, you know, like keep on keeping on. It's like, it's a major, it's like an encouragement, but they're providing it to themselves. And that's really powerful. Yeah. And having it measurable too, just to kind of see that progress. So I know for me, when I was really getting excited about climbing harder and pushing my limits, I thought that it was just the physical component. Oh, if I just get stronger, then everything's going to be okay. But I'd really love to hear from you, you know, what are some very tangible things where people can start to recognize, okay, maybe it's not actually the physical that's limiting (laughs) me right now. It is more of the mental. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Okay, I've got really exciting news. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about getting an IUD and having really painful cycles, but that ended this month. After eight months of incredibly heavy and painful cycles, I finally have found relief. Okay, so the product that I've been using, and I actually challenged myself to use this very consistently, once in the morning and once in the evening, guess what? It worked. I've been taking Ned's Balance Blend. This is a full spectrum hemp oil and this has made a huge difference on my cycle. I've had a ton of stress in my life over the past month and I know that that wasn't doing anything in my favor and I'm still shocked because this is the only thing that I did differently is I just stayed consistent and I said no matter what in the morning and at night I'm getting one serving of this. So if you are a business owner I know that you know that it's not a good use of your time to be spending a week or two out of every month in pain and down for the count. For me this was actually ruining my productivity. I wasn't feeling good. I didn't want to get on camera. I was experiencing bad mood swings and I just generally was pretty miserable. There was a lot of bloating. There was a lot of cramping and that just doesn't really get me that excited to show up in my business. Your business is an extension and a reflection of you. So if you're struggling, that's going to show up in your business. Let's talk about some of the ingredients that makes this product so effective. Ned uses a base of certified organic MCT oil, which is derived from cocoa 
coconut oil, and this helps to maximize the extract's bioavailability for maximum absorption in your body. This means that all of the other ingredients, they're gonna go further because of this carrier oil. They also use evening primrose oil, which is a powerful antioxidant, and it helps to reduce inflammation and promote balanced hormones. Red raspberry leaf is a staple of traditional medicine that helps to tone and nourish the uterus for a healthy pelvic floor and reduces menstrual pain. Think less cramping. Red raspberry leaf tea is amazing too if you haven't tried it around your cycle, highly recommend. They use red clover blossom for balancing botanical that helps to minimize hormonal shifts that can cause mood swings. And lastly, milky oats and oat straw. This is used to calm and soothe and reduce anxiety and stress while still nourishing the endocrine system and regulating hormones. This product alone has 186 five-star reviews. I was reading through the reviews just the other day and I saw things like the only thing that helps for this time of month, this product is a miracle. And I absolutely wanna add my five stars to that pile because this has made such a difference, not only in my cycle, but in my life. I'm literally getting those two weeks of my life back. So with Ned, they actually source their hemp flowers four hours away from their facility. So it is very local to where the product is produced. This facility is located in the valley near Paonia, Colorado. It's surrounded by mountains, there's rich soil, and they use biodynamic practices. So they're growing plants in a way that's in alignment of long-term sustainability of the soil. They handpick their plants. There's no industrial machines used. There's no pesticides. There's no mold. There's no heavy metal from the water. Everything is third-party tested, which is really important because most CBD and hemp companies, they actually don't contain what they say they do on the label. So it's really important to have those independent third-party companies come in and test and verify that that product actually has what it says that they do. So if you want to go ahead and try out Ned's Balance Blend, you can use code EXPAND for 15% off your order. What I would recommend doing is putting this on a subscription. You're going to save even more. You save a total of 30% and you can choose how often you want this to deliver. You can do every two weeks, every 30 days, every 60 days, or every 90 days. I have mine set to auto ship every 30 days so that I never run out because I am totally hooked. I am sold. Anything that is going to <laughs> essentially allow me to live my best life, I am here for it. So again, you can use code expand at checkout for 15% off. Be sure to check out the subscription options as well. And if you do order, be sure to tag me on Instagram when you get your order in, I would love to see what you ordered. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. And I'm actually uh, doing doing my headpoint training program this spring. And so I've been kind of talking to a lot of athletes about this that aren't totally sure if like, you know, like where should they spend their time? You know, if they should get stronger or if they need to spend a little bit more time on the mental side of things or whatever that is. Um, so about the, yeah, like some signs that it is certainly worthwhile for you to spend a little bit of time on the mental side of things. One is like very, if you top rope something very differently than you lead it. Um, and if your ability to commit to moves is much different on top rope than on lead, that's like a very, it's a very clear one. That's kind of obvious, but, um, there's some other ones that I like to ask athletes about as well. That kind of like gets them thinking a little bit more. And one of those is sort of, you know, like if you, walk up to a crag and there's a route that's like well below what, what you consider your limit climb to be in terms of grade, but it's very anti-style. Um, do you avoid it? You know, and that's like, mm -hmm. 
that's a really big thing. There's so much growth there, but it's really hard sometimes to make a project out of something that you feel like is at a grade that should be easy for, you know, quote unquote, should be easy for you. Mm-hmm. So I asked athletes about that. Um, one that I like is like, if there's a definite difference in your ability to commit on a project versus on an onsite attempt, um, that is kind of indicative to me that there's a bit of that zone of the unknown fear, you know, cause when you project something, you get used to the falls. And so that that's totally gone. Um, man, yeah. Like one of the things that I feel like I really worked through throughout climbing is like, I think there was one point that I was like the strongest I'd ever been, like metrics wise, like significantly stronger than I had ever been. And I was working this route and then struggling and kind of one hanging at the same spot over and over again. Um, and definitely had like some jitters and was like, you know, struggling to get this thing to kind of come together, even though I knew for sure I was strong enough to do it. Um, took a break from it with, and did a bunch of mental training and was significantly weaker, like 30%, like across the board on all training metrics and sent the climb. And so in that, you know, kind of like showed, and I've worked with a lot of athletes on this, showed the, the power of, you know, being able to navigate your own mental landscape and not only navigate it, but navigate it with tools. And so I think like, that's a big thing that I'm really passionate about is, um, actually giving people actions and tools and not just being like, you got to work on your mindset. Like here's some journaling, but being like, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. But being like, this is a possibility for you. You got to work on these, on these things. And here's a step-by-step way to do it. Um, and so, yeah, some, some like things in that, in that realm are something that I've gotten to develop over the last few years. And, you know, like I have an exercise bank of mental skill drills, just like how I do, uh, you know, power drills just for athletes and to give them like, okay, this is training for your brain. Um, do these things and treat it like training. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you share with us one of your favorite mental skill drills? Yes, totally. Totally. Um, so the first one, if, if, if anybody's listening and they're like totally unfamiliar kind of with this, this realm of training, um, one of the first things that I have athletes do is I just have them do this thing and I just call it notice when. Um, and so they go climbing and for two or three of the routes in their session out at the crag or at the gym, their sole like primary goal for being there is to see if they can notice when their mind drifts to anything other than, you know, the immediate move that they're doing or the immediate relevant route reading. Um, so that could be drifting to like, who's watching you, what's for lunch, your homework, work stress, you know, like anything, literally anything. Um, Ooh, cute dog. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Cute dog. Loud dog. Is that dog eating my sandwich? <laughs> like whatever the thing, you know, whatever the thing is like, um, actually trying to pay attention to your own focus for a little while, while you're climbing. And most of the time when I have people do this, they're kind of surprised at how quickly their mind drifts to something else. Mm-hmm. And so in the realm, in the realm of talking about like focus development and things like that. Um, basically, you know, when we're up there, like if, if you like chuff or like everything's going well, if you've ever been climbing and like everything's going super well and all of a sudden you're off and you have no idea what even happened, it's a pretty good indicator that like the train kind of left the state, the brain station probably well before that. And maybe you're thinking about something else. And so in order to employ 
any mental tool to calm our nervous system, stand a fight or flight, or stay focused or access try hard. Anything that we're going to try to do in that realm has to start on a foundation of like recognizing almost immediately when our brain is leaving the station. You know what I mean? Like, can you recognize within a half a second that your mind is starting to wander? Because that is going to then allow you a chance to employ some tools. And so the very first thing is like this notice when, and you know, some people are like, wow, so I climbed two bolts at a time without my brain wandering <laughs> to something else. And you're like, you know, and they're like, never really thought about that. And I'm like, well, cool. Now we have a starting point, you know, mm-hmm. like, and you can change this for yourself. And, um, yeah. So that's like that notice when drill is just like a great starting off point. If you're wanting to explore kind of this realm of this realm of climbing work. Excellent. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I'm sure that you see that you can dramatically improve that focus time as well, just by paying attention and having awareness to this. So Mm -hmm. one thing I am dying to ask you. So I used to get this question all the time as a climbing coach. It definitely left a sour taste in my mouth. I know that you've gotten this question before. What is the hardest thing you've ever climbed? You know, somebody's kind of trying to like size you up or, you know, try to justify your position as a climbing coach or somebody giving advice. I'd love to hear your changed and your new perspective and your new take on what is the hardest thing you've ever climbed. Yeah. Oh my gosh, certainly. Yeah, this is such a interesting question. And I think it it's funny because it's like, I think it matters to have a lot of direct climbing experience, you know, and to have a breadth of advanced climbing movement skills is important. That can be sometimes expressed in hardest grade you climbed. And I think just before I dive into the hardest thing I climbed, like I see that as a pillar of a climbing coach's ability to help somebody. Other things that are equally as important is their, you know, in addition to direct climbing experience is their direct coaching experience and their experience with, you know, helping athletes feel supported and directed in a way that really shows results. I think that's just as important And, you know, certifications and understanding the science, you know, like behind what you're doing is also equally important. And so like, I guess that's kind of, I just want to like express a little bit, like if you are looking at working with a climbing coach, um, certainly broadening your lens a little bit to ask all three of those questions might be appropriate. Um, But going back to like the hardest thing I've ever climbed, I think often when I get that question, people are kind of like trying to figure out, you know, like, is this legit? essentially, you know, which is fair, like, fine. Um, but sometimes it comes at me with like, it's come at me in a lot of interesting ways over the years. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, it's hard to, yeah, I don't just be like real with you. It's hard. Cause like, I come also from an engineering background where I was just constantly having to fit in myself on job sites. You know, I spent 10 years in the engineering school and industry and construction industry. And so, not being on guard is something that's like kind of hard for me to do. Um, and then it like can be a little triggered if these questions come at me with a little microaggression. And so I've never really had a really great way to respond to it. Um, that I felt really good about it because I, I welcome questions and I want to certainly explore whatever people need to explore. But I recently was gifted a different perspective on this question that I absolutely love. And that's like the main point of like, yeah, of like what I'm thinking about all of this is somebody asked me, um, what's the hardest thing you've ever climbed? 
I'm not talking about grade. They're like, what is the thing that you had to put the most effort to that took the most of you, you know, the most training or try hard or most sessions or most, most like emotionally taxing or, you know, whatever it is, like, what was the thing that required the most effort out of you as a climber? And I think that was such an amazing way to phrase it because it completely changed my answer. My answer is no longer summed up in a grade. And it like, it came very clear, this memory of being on climbing, I think it was pitch five or six of Fiddler of the Roof out in Black Velvet Canyon in Nevada. And, um, and just like that climb is pretty much after pitch two, the whole thing is heady. There's like a 70 foot traverse on RPs over a roof. That's like the namesake of the climb. And then the crux pitch. And then you kind of think you're through it because you're at the top of pitch four. And then there's three pitches of, you know, like five, 10 climbing that are, you know, just all day, 25 foot runouts. You know, you're looking at a 25 foot runout off of a belay. You know, you're just like, man, if I fall right now, it is, it's like really just not an option, you know, like it's not going to be good. And, um, experiencing how that mental fatigue could work on me throughout the day, pulling out literally every skill that I had in my brain, mental brain tool book, you know, that I've developed over the years to manage that space for that long. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I just remember like being on the final, leading the final pitch of that route. And there's like a bowl, like 30 feet below me. And I just putting in this like tooth sized RP and like looking up above me and not seeing another bolt until the anchors and just being like, so mentally exhausted, you know? And I was just kind of on like slight, you know, slightly slopey, slabby, not difficult climbing, but man, I was, I was, yeah, I had to dig in for, to make that happen. And, um, I still remember putting the, the rope in those, <laughs> those anchors at the top of that route for sure. <laughs> just being like, I am relief. Yeah. I was just, yeah. Just like, Ooh, yeah. We went to a little bit of like a different place to get that one done, you know? And, um, and, uh, yeah, getting to answer that question now, I'm so excited to, you know, be like, somebody's like, what's the hardest thing you ever ever had to climb? I'll be like, fiddle on the roof, 510 plus, seven pitches. Had to go there, really had to go mm-hmm. there to get that done. And um, and being proud of that because that's the most effort that I think I've like put forth for the longest period of time. Um, and encouraging others to think about the hardest thing they've ever climbed in that way too, you know, like, you're a boulder and you've climbed a bunch of V8s, but there's this like V5 that's just sort of like really hard for you for whatever reason. Um, and if you put the effort forth towards that and learn a lot from it, um, allowing that to hold a place kind of in, in your mind and be being proud of that. Um, excuse me. And, uh, yeah, so it really changed my perspective and I thought that was really an amazing way to think about it. And it provides a lot more story and a lot more, you know, like humanness to like what mm-hmm. it is we're all doing out there. And um, yeah, so I'm excited to answer that question with 510 plus from now on. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. I mean, that dramatically changes my answer as well. I'm like, oh yeah. What's yours? Like, What's the hardest oh, thing you've ever climbed? Ooh, okay. So it is, <laughs> it's definitely a V8, um, which is not the hardest thing that I've climbed. And I just remember, I actually did it just a couple of, about a month ago. And I've been to this boulder so many times. Every single time I'm like, 
there's no way I can link more than one move on this thing. Like, absolutely not. And Mm -hmm. I remember just keep going back to it. Just every time I'm like, okay, guess I'll just throw myself against this thing. It has kind of like a scary, heady top out. It's called Mm -hmm. Kobe tie. It's in Leavenworth, Washington. It's absolutely beautiful. It is super stiff for the grade. And it's one of those things where I was like, oh man, I should be able to do this. I've done, you know, a bunch of other V8s, but I was like, I just don't think I'm ever going to be able to because the one crux move, it's typically done with like a left hand bump off mm-hmm. of a pretty shitty hold. And it's way bigger than what my arm span can reach. So I had mm-hmm. to come up with alternative beta. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm just really proud that I just kept going back. I, I, I had to figure out different beta that fit my size. And first go this season, it went down. And I was like, wow, I, I've never put more sessions in on something mm-hmm. and just had it feel effortless and flowy at the end but that entire process that was hard just Mm -hmm. like picking myself up and being like no we're going back to this boulder because every single time I sat under it I was like this is never happening so yeah I I love that perspective shift on that because it really does get you to think about you know what like it's not just about the grade you know there are many v4s out there that I still haven't done and don't know if I will like it's Mm -hmm. to be determined we'll see Mm -hmm. yeah and I think just like a healthy mix you know is like where we can find so much so much joy in in things and not getting you know getting more caught up in what it is that you can learn instead of instead of the grade and I think um making sure that that's a big part of our climbing too is Mm -hmm. is important kind of going back to that longevity thing of yeah spending time yeah, like go after the route at the crag that is going to teach you the most, you know, like actually that happened this weekend. I was like, uh, you know, there's like a, a 12A with a big powerful move to a hand jam and there's a 12C that's probably a little bit more my style. And that is kind of like, you know, we talked a little bit before about like trying to get away from the grade pyramid a little bit. And by doing that, that allows us room to be like, you know what, I'm going to spend time on this anti-style 12A um, because I think it's going to teach me more. It's going to teach mm-hmm. me how to like go up and hit a powerful hand jam and then trust it in a way that I haven't done before and being super psyched about that. And that's like what can carry us through years and years of climbing with a lot of joy. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, asking a, you know, hiring a climbing coach based on how hard they climb is essentially like hiring a business coach based on how much money they make. I'm like, if somebody came to me and asked me that question, I'd be like, I'm, I can't be the coach for you because the results that I get my clients, my methodology, the things that we work on, like those are more important than, you know, how much money I make or how hard I climb or any of those factors. So I'm really glad that we were able to talk about this new perspective and hopefully people listening can kind of tune into that for themselves because it really is going to bring up this whole new relationship with climbing and how much you've, you know, had to return to something or how much you've really had to fight for it or what you learned from it. So Harley, I want to hear about this new coach that you brought on. So Mm -hmm. you now have somebody that can take on clients. Tell me a little little bit more about why you brought this person on and what they specialize in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm really excited that, um, over, over the last few years, Project Director has grown so much. And I certainly like, it's so, so important for me to make sure that athletes are having like the full 100% great experience in the transformations. And I was just kind of realizing that like, I'm only one person and my roster is getting just a little bit too much. And I like, not only that, I'm only one person in the fact that I can only bring 
myself and my experience. And so like, if I want to continue to grow and which I do, um, bringing on somebody else or, you know, like starting to build a team essentially is something that's going to be a really big and important piece of that. And so, um, kind of looking at that and looking at some of the amazing coaches that are in the climbing industry, because there are so many and looking at it, you know, like, okay, I have certain things that I know that I'm a little better at and have more skills in and finding somebody that has skills in something else. That way I can be like, Hey, you know what? Like I can not only in the project direct roster offer you mine, but like, if you turn your climbing focus to something else, having a coach that is really, really aligned and loves to coach that and has that background. And so I brought on, um, Casey Elliott, um, who's a great, great friend of mine and a great climbing coach with just tons of coaching experience. So he's, um, head coach at the climbing Academy. He has coached indoor, um, youth teams and has a lot of that direct coaching experience that I was certainly looking for, but also has tons and tons of direct climbing experience, especially in the realm of very difficult bouldering and very difficult trad climbing. So in that way, like so complimentary, you know, like I have I, it was such a, it was such a cool experience. Like I have an athlete, you know, that has worked with me for a couple of years and made really, really big, really big progress in bouldering. And it's kind of bouldering at that like V7, V8 level. And, um, instead of being like, yes, like, I'm just going to keep you for my own. Cause I like working with you so much and being like, look, like, I want you to be able to continue to progress in these, in this bouldering, but like this more advanced movement, honestly, is really well aligned with what Casey knows about and what Casey knows how to coach, you know, sending so many V10s and V11 range climbs that like to get to match that athlete with the coach and just be like, I know you guys are going to drive and like have a really great time and all, you know, kind of like getting able to build a team out like that is really, really special. And it's been, it's been awesome. And so um, that's, yeah, a part of where, project direct is starting to go and it's kind of mind blowing to me, but like, I'm also really grateful, you know, to start to talk about like, instead of I, I do this, I do this, you know, like we do this, we do this and like, um, making a conscious switch in that way and stepping into that leadership role is something that I'm, yeah, very grateful that I get to do, but I'm also very excited about it because it feels like totally what I'm meant to do. And that's sort of like, you know, I've been, I've been around for a little while now. And it's been a really long time since I've really felt like my job is what I want it to be. And I was really excited about my job. So incredibly grateful that that is the case right now. And that I am in a position that I'm going to, you know, starting to build this team. Yeah, very, extremely exciting. And I'm so glad that you I mean, our, our job as coaches, as mentors is to get people to where they need to go. And if that person, if it's not us, if we are not the best option for that person, like finding somebody that's going to be the best fit, I really think that speaks a lot to your integrity as a coach. And what things do you have coming up? So I know that you are traveling quite a bit. What are you excited about? What are you going to be running next? How can people work with you in the near future? Yeah, totally. So I guess it's probably trying to think before this airs. So I'll be doing, um, kind of like my, it's funny, my like very first program that I ever did is called Headpoint training. And I'm excited to bring it back now, like two years later and continue to work with athletes on their 
head game. And so um, I basically have two head game programs. I have head point training and flow point training. Um, flow point training is currently running right now. And that's sort of like my level two head game, um, head game program. And that's like, um, so I'll kind of talk about that, but I guess we'll start at level one for the sake of doing it things in order, but head point training is sort of like the level one. So like, um, athletes that really find a lot of success and gain a lot from joining head point training are athletes that have a significant fear of falling athletes that feel like they're struggling, um, depending on who's around, you know, and if there's like some, they have like climbing has started to feel icky to them or they feel or feel a lot of judgment or fear of failure. Um, or athletes that have been climbing for a really, really long time, but have started to feel burned out and they don't feel like the sport is providing them a ton of joy. All three of those like kind of archetype of athlete has been through headpoint training. Um, had a lot of people through their program and it's gotten to kind of like evolve and morph over the last few years. Um, but that's sort of like this level one, you know, like this head point training program is going to progress you in all, all of those, all of those realms. Um, I certainly also have flow point training, which I'm running right now. And I have a group of amazing athletes in it. And that is, that is mental skills for performance. So that is for the athlete is not, not afraid of falling anymore. And that's not a big part of their climbing, but maybe they struggle to perform on demand or they struggle to give it their all on an onset attempt, or they struggle. They're just one hang something a lot before they send it. And they don't really know why is like building out a different, different habit lanes and tools, things that they can use so that way they can perform, um, more on demand and more consistently. Um, so I love, I love that program. And as, yeah, one of the athletes just sent her first 513 in several, several years um, in only three sessions after, you know, after spending time in four-point training. And so it's really cool to see those tangible results happening for athletes in that program. Um, so those are kind of the two, you know, like head game things. Um, I also do do training plans, um, which is a big, big part of my business. And, like love, I love making people feel strong. It's such a cool to see them light up. So you can work with me, training plans and, uh, and movement skills as well. Um, my roster for training plans is quite full right now. Um, but I do have, I do allow people to like save their spots for later. So if you're interested in working on, on that with me, I definitely yet yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. I am I'm a very, very easy person to chat with. And so even if you just want to like say, Hey, um, I'd love to love to hear from you. Awesome. And I will link everything in the show notes to where you can connect with Carly further on Instagram, her website. So one more question for you. Mm -hmm. I know that you're also reading women who run with the wolves. I would love to hear your biggest takeaway so far or something that you've learned, something eye-opening. Oh man. I think, Oh, you know, I think like just that like entrance story about, um, how was La Loba. I'm sorry. I've totally butchered that, but where like she would collect like the bones of wolves and then they would eventually kind of like run wild again. Um, and I think so far that's been like, it's sort of been like this connecting book for me to like my own intuition and my own gut. And, um, and in a very like feminine way, like allowing me to reaccess sort of like that intuition space and that heart space that actually holds a lot of wisdom that, you know, maybe was muted for a while as I worked as a structural engineer for four years, you know, and, um, 
like it's allowed me to see that as just as valuable and to hold, you know, like I have this analytical side of me and this very like strong side of me that I do value. Um, but I think that book has just been encouraging me to allow the instinctual and the, and the heart centered leadership that I also feel like I house within my body, a space at the table as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And everything about like the life death life cycle, mm-hmm. like when you're in that death cycle, you're like, oh my God, nothing new is coming. But remembering that things like have to die in order to give it life again. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was just so curious to hear your thoughts on that so far. So thank you so much, Carly, for coming on the show. Again, I'll link everything to where you can connect with Carly in the show notes. And this was such a great conversation. I appreciate you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And yeah, if anybody wants to share the hardest thing they'd ever, they've ever climbed, I would love to hear, hear that from anybody and hear the good stories that come, that come behind that. Excellent message, Carly, on Instagram with your hardest thing (laughs) you've ever climbed. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on. A huge thank you to Carly for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to meet up and climb with her in just a couple of weeks in Lander. It's going to be such a good time. If you're going to be at the International Climbers Festival, let us know. You can tag both of us on Instagram if you loved this episode. I'm at Expand with Chelsea and Carly is at Project Direct. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, what resonated with you. And as a reminder, if you want a customized Oracle card pull from me, all you've got to do is share this episode to your stories and tag me and you'll be entered to win. I'll grab your email, anything that you're struggling with, what you want support around, something that you need to make a decision about, and I'll do a customized video card pull just for you. You're absolutely going to love it. Again, all you have to do to enter is to tag me in your stories on Instagram, and I'll be doing this every single week. I will announce the first winner next week, and I'm so excited to be doing this. Thank you so much for being here. If you haven't yet left a rating and a review, if you just want to take a couple moments and go do so, it really helps me. It helps other people find the show as well. If you've got a friend or family member that you think would really enjoy this episode, please feel free to send it on over to them. I hope you have the best rest of your day, and I will talk to you next episode.